Welcome to part two of my discussion with Chris Metzen. I'm Scott Johnson. Uh, this is a multi-part series, and as you just heard, this is part two. If you ever wondered if there were any direct parallels between Chris Metzen, creative director of Blizzard, and the games he helped produce, well, wonder no more. It turns out there were plenty of them, and we talk about some of those today. We also hear a lot about Chris's upbringing, what led him to Blizzard, and what life was like when he first started. And we get right up to the point where we start talking about somebody named April. That's coming up right now. Enjoy. I guess I would want to say that the weird thing about this kind of stuff and 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 including ideas all the way up until I actually left Blizzard, it was always a little weird because again, I'm, I was kind of the, the kind of lead creative guy for world and story stuff and, and thus the one usually pushing what the story would be. Um, but, you know, but there's so many other people involved and in many cases, other writers. So I guess I always want to say, you know, there, there were a lot of people involved and there was some some level of awkwardness over the years just within me that I did chase ideas and stories and characters because I think I was working out life issues um, all that time. And, and to me, it was it was the art for me. Mm. Um, and looking back on all that, I don't know how much my coworkers were aware of where I was at in different phases. Um, I don't know how much of it they saw. I don't know how much of it they hated as a result. Um, <laughs> there's way too much of you going on here, Chris, and it should just be more whatever. Who are you? Um, to bleed so much into these circuits. No one ever said that to me over all those years, um, but it's definitely something I had chewed on and wrestled with uh, many times over the years. God, am I going to... <laughs> yeah, you... Is this just too raw? It, you know, because they see me fighting for an idea or fighting for the way it plays out in a scene, and and they're like, why is he so committed to this course? It seems like it could be red or yellow. You know, They're, they're equally cool, you know, but boy, is he latching onto red. You know, there were a lot of battles I fought that they, you know, my friends would never know, you know, why I was pushing so hard because there are a lot of scenes and themes and moments that um, were very important to me that they play out in a specific way. There's, there's scenes and moments in those games to, to this day. I still, I'll, I'll watch it and have the same, it's like I get hit in the chest with a sledgehammer. Like they're still so hard for me to watch because they were so literally ripped from certain moments of my life. But I, you know, I'm not, I'm not as aware, like how evident those things were to the people I was working with at the time, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it came up, but other than a few very, very close friends I had there, I don't know that I was all that chatty about my experience. Um, especially in that era that the, I can't tell time anymore, dude, but the, the cataclysm slash Starcraft two heart of the swarm. That would have been, uh, see 2010 through like 2013 ish. Oh my God. Kind of that's the whole range. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Like 29. Yeah. Like Oh nine. Yeah. I was going through some, some pretty wild stuff, um, in those years, you know, so in our last interview, you know, I, I, I think I was pretty candid about not the last one, but the one before and just talking about just kind of the, the work and the pressure sometimes and wanting to do a good job and, and kind of feeling like, you know, maybe these people are counting on you more than, you know, you have the ability to, you know, come through for them or, you know, be, be brilliant, be excellent all the time. And so you've got that tension, but in, in that phase of my life, um, during those products in particular, 
um, I was just going through, I had that at, at, on the work front and then uh, in my personal life, um, it was just kind of burning down. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and sell you on the idea that because my life was burning down, I came up with this idea for cataclysm. Let's burn down Azeroth, right? <laughs> right. Um, I wish I could remember. I, it's like, I wish I could call a Frosty Abbey right now and just go, dude, what was your memory of the few months that we ideated on that product? Um, I don't think, you know, my part of it was... Because remember, in that phase of World of Warcraft, I had really stepped back on on primary creative director towards the end of Lich King. And Alex Afrasiabi had stepped in as kind of the primary day-to-day, um, I've got this, dude, you go do you. Go do you. Um, so Alex and I would continue to meet and jam kind of at a very, at a much higher level. You know, we had done a lot of world stuff on Cataclysm and kind of, oh, what would we do with this zone? Or what do you think would be cool over here? And, we, you know, we'd, we'd spend a lot of hours um, riffing on what we would do to break the world. And really where it gets personal for me, I think, was... I was feeling all this. I was I was going through a, a, a divorce at the time. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. But, you know, people, I think, picked up on um, using the character of Thrall as kind of this weird, cathartic, you know, lightning rod. You know, people were pissed that he was so foreground that he seemingly abandoned the Horde um, and he's trying to hold the world together. I mean, it doesn't really seem of that much use. Um, and then the, I think people felt that we kind of overused him and overly delved into the psychology of kind of what he's going through in his life and, and the parallel between literally the world cracking in half. Yeah, I was pushing a lot of those ideas at the time. I, I was fascinated by the idea at a editorial level of can we literally have the planet in peril? The, the system, the ecosystems in peril, our factions in peril, the races in peril, and then ultimately the major characters in peril, in peril. And ultimately these different tiers would have, you know, very specific conflicts and themes that are all playing out, right? It's not just Deathwings, you know, shaking the, the mantle of the earth. That's bad, but it, it echoes in at every layer that it could echo. And the inversion of the the planet in peril was our chief leaders literally falling apart and unclear about how to be these heroes they used to be and unclear about how to save the day. That seemed like a really interesting thing to do. um, And that's what I pushed. I think you inadvertently gave me a, a not a trick, but I, I think I just learned something I've always wondered about. And you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, and then we'll get back on track here. Just a real quick question. I hadn't really, I mean, Cataclysm, yeah. You think of Deathwing and, oh boy, here he comes and he's out. Now he's flying over stuff and he's burning it down. There's the immediate sort of, uh, you know, emergency reaction to such an event. But I... I'm always I'm, I was always amazed in the games how that's not we that wasn't the whole expansion. You you know, you went through months and months and months of it just it just story and quest content that was ramifications that were far from where Deathwing was, far from where the destruction took place. Yet there's still uprising, there's still changes, there's political upheaval because someone's like, "Ooh, take advantage of this uh time where everything's a little right. bit crazy and chaotic." I always wondered, I mean, I, I, and you keep referring to the fact that you have a huge, there was always a big team and it was a team effort. And there was a bunch of people writing this, but I think you just kind of told me the structure. It's like, what's the big, what's the big harrowing thing now at, from the tip of that pyramid, work your way down right. and see how broadly you want to have the impact. Right. That's fascinating to me. Well, you, you got to look at it like uh, from a purely practical standpoint, I don't know what the number is today for the original game. The ludicrous number was like a thousand. Imagine that we write and build a thousand quests. Oh my gosh. Does that sound doable? <laughs> it's as it, stupid as that sounds. 
Yeah. It's 10 times harder to actually do. There are only so many, you know, there's only so many notes in this scale, you know? Right. Um, and so when you're looking at building one of these giant expansion sets, your top tier idea is maybe good for what? Really think about, you know, 20, 50 quests. Like that, that's a lot of, you know, you can always stretch some ideas so far, you know, and then you really have to start digging because zone by zone, you have to really, that's where you find the real soul, in, in my opinion, of, of an expansion set. Your top tier idea, in, in, my, in my experience, it's usually really good for marketing up front. And then it's really good for end game as you're wrapping it all up some years later at the end is I'm just saying from experience is really where that real top level idea is usually the hottest. And so in, 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 in the middle, as you're exploring all these zones at our best, we were able to trickle down and, you know, really nail that fantasy and really bleed that top tier idea into the day to day reality of these zones. But oftentimes, you know, you have to conjure a whole new, you know, set of ideas and themes just to fill out that much gameplay and that much world space. So that's fascinating to me. So it's so at an editorial level, you you have to look for ideas that can be, you know, I don't know, easily. I don't have a good word for that. Um, kind of compartmentalized, right? Uh, you know, and and broadened, you know, for purposes of quest design, world design, uh, whatever. Sure, it's like uh, well, it's like it's like actually any any WoW expansion I've ever played, including the original game. There was always some big reason everything's happening. And then right. a big, long, whoa, look what the trolls think of this. Whoa, look at this other thing that happened. You know, like all the this weird inside business. Some of it was just happening, and now it's inconvenient because the world's changing. So now this right. thing that was happening in Northrend is a problem. So we got to go stop it. Otherwise, who cares? Just let them, you know, freeze up there. But, okay. but we can't. So it's like, I, I don't know why that's so interesting to me. Like, I guess I, I guess I thought well i you know we don't know what the process is uh, for you guys or anybody else in this business and so you don't hear a lot about how that sort of structure comes together but the mm -hmm. way you just described it I, I don't know i feel like you gave us all a little bit of a gift it was a fun one right you yeah. know <clears throat> i love that there was kind of inherent to the cataclysm idea there was a very personal layer of it you know that you saw with you know Thrall and Garrosh and you know there was all the business with the you know the Council of the Three Hammers like even the Alliance really had um, a lot going on just trying to hold it together and there was an identity component I think to each of the factions and how well they were doing how well they were holding up is this really who we are can we really save the day again and that's what I really particularly loved about that expansion set you know was just the the layers of it peeling away so so I, I guess I had started to say you know people were kind of put off with you know the thrall character because I did have one of those weird you know I, I had pushed a lot with him and I think a lot of times it was just instinct I did not know where it was all going again Alex was doing a lot of the of the world driving um through cataclysm um, but I had been working with uh, Christy Golden on on you know some of the the novels and you know she had been developing um God, what was it? The Shattering, which I loved developing. It's still one of my favorite Warcraft novels, just in terms of how much was going on, you know, Garrosh and Bane and all that. So it, it, I had another one of those weird um, moments of clarity. Um, I was sitting in a room in my office, actually, with Christy and, and a few of the C-Dev, you know, Sean Copeland and James Waugh, I think at the time, you know, just our... our our normal kind of story team, uh, maybe Alex was in there too, because we were talking about the shattering, um, or it might have been just after that, we were talking about maybe uh, about the story that would become, maybe it was Twilight of the Aspects. One yeah. of the, it was one of the later Cataclysm novels, trying to wrap all this stuff up. And I remember sitting there and it again, hit me just like a ton of bricks. I'm like, holy shit, I think 
is this my life right now? You know, mm. um, and no one in the room had a clue, right? We're just jamming and going and I'm doing my soapbox thing and going a hundred miles an hour and boom, 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 you know, and then this, this will happen and then this will line up with this. And, mm-hmm. and I just had this crazy kind of, holy shit, you know, what am I saying? You know, what am I, is this me? Am I? And then, you know, and, and I stepped back and I said that to the room, I kind of started to laugh and I, I, I lost my stride and I did what's, what's going on. I'm like, dude, I, you know, is this, you know, am I channeling elements of my life today? Uh, and, and if so, is that, is that the job? Is that fair? Um, and there was maybe nervous laughter and, you know, it'd be interesting to follow up with Christy one of these days or Alex and, and maybe bring that up. Like, God, guys, you guys remember that day? Yeah. Um, I wonder because it, those, it, so as far as you know, it could only be in your own head that this is, no one's maybe, ever accused you and said, ah, Chris, maybe. you're letting your personal life take over that wow I, story. I think it was only one time. Um, it was, it was really obvious mm-hmm. it was completely obvious and i think warcraft players will know exactly what i'm talking about uh and i'm and i'm still a little i think we have talked about this before scott but it was it was more of a uh i knew exactly what i was doing because it was just this nakedly overt kind of thing but it was that quest line i believe it was the end of cataclysm as we're wrapping everything up and it's the elemental bonds thing where you know i ultimately wanted to uh marry thrall and um Agralan. Mm-hmm. And there was this quest line where you know he gets zapped by the you know the the you know fire druids and shattered, and uh, you essentially escort Agra around the world to these elemental spots and pull this knucklehead back together. And so I had written the scripts. I had I had kind of just done a real rough kind of document on how it would play and where it would go. And I had written the the dialogue and I'd taken it to Alex and I never did things like that. I never went off, um, you know, on my own and kind of developed ideas to bring back to him that, Hey, could you just make this one to one? Like never. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was the creative director now. And, and, you know, my job was to help him do what he was doing. And, um, I remember being a little embarrassed and a little, you know, I know this is, this is not done. This isn't the way I would normally have run things, but I took it to him and I'm like, look, this means a lot to me. And I do think it's good story for these characters. I do think it's a cool way to wrap things up after everything they've been through and we'll kick it off, you know, not kick it off, but we'll, we'll wrap it up with a wedding and it'll feel awesome. And I remember him getting it and he read the doc and, you know, like, you know, Alex loves me, man. We've been doing this for a long time. And uh, he emailed me back and I could, I could hear it in the email, right? Just going like, dude, you know, like, <laughs> Like, I see where you're going, Chrissy, and I'll do anything for you. But, yeah. and he was a champ and he, uh, he got it built. It's one of my, it's one of my (laughs) most memorable stretches in the game. I love that stuff. I did. I hadn't realized how, how, uh, well, how personal it was for you. Because at that, at that time in my life, you know, um, and that must've been, God, was that 20, 11 you know yeah, I, I can't i can't tell so. time anymore but yeah. you know cat and i had had um maybe i should go back and explain but but in that era you know cat and i had been together for a while and i had just lived it you know i i was a person that was <laughs> literally you know blown up you know and the things i thought about myself the things i prided myself on being were literally blown up and she was this person uh i found um, who also had had some rough highway and um, just lived a lot of life. And we wound up becoming friends and kind of helping each other knit back together, you know, and in the classic codependency, you know, uh, you know, manual, um, 
I'll tell you what, our codependency is uh, glorious and thriving. And uh, I say that mostly joking. I knew, I mean, I knew Kat before I knew you. And yeah. um, I only knew of you when I knew Kat. And so I, it was a weird, it was weird on the outside sort of looking in. But I remember hearing from somebody, it may have been Kat. She was in our guild and, you know, around our community a lot and stuff. And I heard about the friendship and you guys getting closer and all that stuff through just kind of that grapevine if there was one and i remember being so excited for her because <laughs> she like you said had, has her own crazy map that she yeah. could show everybody and and i remember thinking oh she so deserves this and he deserves her and this is great and all that but i didn't really know you know a whole lot was out. going on yeah. right but but to know that to know that soft landing was there for you and to know yeah. that that soft landing was there for thrall as cheesy as it seemed is a really it, it was a really great thing for me i some people may not have liked where that went i don't know but i'm a sucker for uh you know goel found the right yeah. one yeah. and she's the right one and not only that there's this baby and oh my gosh how awesome is it because uh, now there's family and like right. all of that stuff rings with me i think you hit on the code word right it's like the the horrible c word right is it is it just cheesy like you're telling me metallica you know from the justice album turns around and writes you know a power ballad you know how, how can this be <laughs> what are you talking about right? right um and in that way because i think that's what alex was just you know when i when i handed the document over to him and God bless that boy. I think he was, you know, rightfully kind of like, dude, you know, I see where you're going. I think he felt it was a little cheesy, um, but he loved me enough not to say it. Um, <laughs> and like I had clearly taken leave of my of my senses in even pushing it. So that's one example, you know, that I look back on today and I'm appreciative that they built that sequence. I like the beat that it is in the story. I'm a little embarrassed by just how on the nose a lot of it is, but I also don't care. That's where I was. And that's what I wanted to say. And I think Kat gets a, a kick out of it, you know, for her part. And it just kind of was what it was. So I don't know. Was you know, there you know, was there any catharsis in Okay, there's a very particular portion of that story that if I try to tell it thing for thing, I'm going to get cheesed for it because everyone knows I'm terrible at recounting these stories. But I'll never forget when Nazdormu, um, the timeless one, aspect of time, well, formerly, one of the aspects, they all the aspects are giving up their dragonhood or whatever. And him in particular, his his pauldron is is full of sand and it cracks during this process and he holds a hand out and sand pours from it kind of slowly and very uh, poetically out of his out of his uh, pauldron and into his hand this symbol of shedding this thing you were so that you can now be the thing you're gonna be superman two-ish you know yeah a little bit about giving that up for for something greater than yourself is that i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to make this stuff in my head because i'm a romantic at heart but that sounds no, like a, that sounds like really a thing good. yeah you yeah. need to talk to Taryn gregory he would thrill to this discussion right like and that's the level at which he <laughs> rolls right like just right. everything has meaning and nuance you know and, and of course it does you know but yeah like all those themes were playing out you know the ultimately it's transformation 
you know, mm-hmm. it's in engagement and transformation. And bittersweet, um, bittersweet right? Because you're dropping this, not facade, you're, you're dropping this great shroud of power and of, of whatever it is that you've established, you worked so hard for, the aspects are doing the job they were meant to do, and now they're being asked to, to, to lose that to save everybody else. And they do it, and they do it willingly. And I just, if the, if the, if the Goel marriage bit fits, I just have to think that fit as well. Because obviously, you know, moving from one big part of your life to another is is like doing that you're giving it up and that always that stuck with me then before i knew any of this and it really sticks with me now you're the, you're the one you're the guy with yeah. the <laughs> but you're not but 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 what we don't want to do here is it's I, I think it's too easy it's too reductive for somebody to say ah chris's life exactly mirrors that of a giant dragon destroying the world and then uh-huh. then finding the peaceful <laughs> land of pandaria like right. that doesn't feel fair uh to do that but it is interesting to hear you know aspects well, you would, of you it would, yeah you would so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about, uh, where to start. And I, and, and you cut me off, dude, if this is not, um, if it's too off the beaten path or just too, uh, I don't know how to put it. If I'm sharing too much, shut me up and jump on top of it. Right. Otherwise <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Right. And maybe it'll shed a little light on some of these game, you know, the, the things we're talking about. Right. But if I, if I go to cuckoo bird, uh, reel me back in deal. If I hear <laughs> yeah. you can always edit. I doubt it's going to happen, but I'm I guess just... you can always just cut it all out, right? So, <laughs> so this is going to sound totally insane. I, I'll, I will try and encapsulate some of my experience very, very quickly, and and in such a way, maybe it'll shed a little bit of light on, um, you know, some some of this work over the years. So, so where to start? So at a thousand feet. How do I do this succinctly? I will generalize. That's yeah. a way to do it. Oh, succinctly. all right. Well, yeah, I like generalizations. I'm cool with that. Where do I start? So I'm the. Uh, this is so weird. <laughs> so weird. I'm actually going to tell you uh, life stuff. This is so weird. Well, you know, this is where we usually end up. But my, my toes are on the ledge of a of a <laughs> high dive, and I'm feeling the air currents. So, so I'm the I'm the youngest of four kids, uh, you know, from La Habra, California. Born in 1973, Chris was a Scorpio and four months premature. So, um, is that true? You're premature. My God, like like four months. I almost didn't make it, and I almost wiped my mom out at the same time. There was like a tumor the size of a softball, I guess, in there with me oh, that they thought might have been a twin, yeah. <clears throat> which is at least interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> And then uh, in the in the arrival, um, things got things got a little little bumpy. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I was in a you know a uh, what do you call that incubator. Oh uh, yeah, my mom so, uh, my mom had six miscarriages before me, so I guess there's some. <laughs> I, I totally get the uh, thing. I I uh, came out yeah. kind of funny looking, but I, apparently I was a weird miracle baby, and sound like you were too. But anyway, totally. You know, like yeah. I I was. Uh, it's kind of a thing. I was I was a very weird little kid. I was a sickly little kid, and growing up, and of course because my arrival was so violent, um, there would be there would be no more. The last of the line, right? So. Growing up, you know, um, I was an I was an awkward, I think, kind of a kind of an ugly little duckling. I had a lazy eye. They insisted on giving me bowl haircuts. I was just this dorky little kid. I, I could not see. I have like a horrific astigmatism. So you know, everyone, you know, all the kids in my neighborhood, everybody played sports, right? So of course, I could not hit or catch or, or run without getting asthmatic. I was just a wreck, and I was very insecure about the way I looked. I was super insecure about my 
you know, Martian eyeball that would, you know, kind of tweak out and appear to be looking the other way. So I think I just always grown up with this, this innate kind of insecurity about myself and being the youngest, you know, I, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of just alcoholism, you know, from different, you know, like a, a, a you know, my oldest brother and, you know, kind of amidst my grandparents and my folks kind of held the center of just a lot of, just a lot of madness and drama, constant madness and drama. And my folks are just amazing, you know, just amazing, right? They, they held it all together, you know, but it was just, uh, as I was coming up, you know, uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, through those years, you know, things were just tense. They were just, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, you know, know about, you know, addiction in families and how hard that can be and mm -hmm. how hard it is to watch your, your loved ones have to go through that. And really the rest of your loved ones having to deal and survive it. So my solace uh, in a house of a lot of tension, my solace was going into my room and shutting the door and drawing, putting on albums of music and drawing and writing and drawing maps and reading my Marvel and memorizing my Dungeon Master's Guide and the Tables of Sentient Weapons on page 283. I delved into the geeky sciences as about as intensely as, as a person could have um, because it made me made me feel good, made me feel safe. This great equalizer, you know, the friends I had at the time that I, I, I pretty much had uh, the same group of friends. This is very, very rare. And I, I love this about my life. Essentially from the, you know, the first or second grade, you know, the, you know, three, three of the five of us, four of the five of us met in the first or second grade. And by the time we we're in the fifth grade, really became thick as thieves. And we picked up one or two members over time. But we, we had been friends essentially since the first grade up until really up until, oh, that's so funny. The truth is up until I had a kid the first time. Oh, wow. Changed so radically in my context that uh, you go your different ways in life. But for the most part, as, as adolescents and as teenagers, um, we were thick as thieves. And here was this geeky stuff in the middle. We related through D&D. We related through jamming ideas. We related through building worlds and drawing pictures and just imagining together. Um, to me, that was religion. That was safety. That was the highest art, you know, the highest calling. And I never dreamed of this shit being professional. I never dreamed of, of making product for a living or being the kind of person that could build games or worlds or write or anything. It was simply my life. It was simply how I survived day to day. I don't mean survive physically. I was under no, um, you know, it wasn't uh, dangerous. It was just uh, tense, you know. And as a sensitive, awkward, insecure adolescent coming up into my teenage years, holy shit, you know, I was, you know, um, I, I just laugh at Twilight now because, you know, I was the vampire and the werewolf kid <laughs> rolled into one time thousand at my high school. Yeah. Just this dark, you know, rock and roll, pale knucklehead. <sighs> so, so, so kind of, kind of funny in an overarching way, you know, I, I had my friends and there was safety there and it was, you know, D and D and, and it wasn't really video games. We really didn't, any of us really get crazy into video games until after the internet had really blown up, you know, and, and really after I got hired at Blizzard is when I started playing a lot of video games. Before that, it was just, it was tabletop. It was, it was Warhammer, Necromunda, D and D, you know, all the Palladium role-playing games. It was 
Magic the Gathering. It was whatever. The weirder, the better. Um, but that we had always had that. And then uh, kind of post high school, you know, we were all musicians of a stripe and um, you know, we started getting into bands and it became a music scene for a number of years there. But, you know, we had always held together and in a way that had always held me together. You know, I love my family dearly, you know, and, and we all it's, it's funny now as we're all adults and parents ourselves. I think people remark about, you know, the Metsons or whatever, that we're a pretty tight Irish crew. We all hang out a lot. You know, the kids all hang out a lot. You know, the cousins, you know, are growing up together and I love that, you know, but when I was little, um, I couldn't get away fast enough. You know, I just wanted to define myself my way. I wanted to go my own damn way without judgment and without um, feeling like my actions or explorations could splash back and cause any more harm or tension, you know, to my parents or to the family that's, you know, just trying to get by. You know, I didn't want to be an extra weight. I didn't want to be any more of a concern or a stressor to my family. You know, through through doing the normal knucklehead things that kids do, you know, getting in trouble. I was always in trouble for grades because I was a shit student. No, me too. Just couldn't. I just in so many ways just couldn't care less. I just wanted to draw maps and wizards, you know, because um, it made me feel good. I didn't I didn't get it. And how ironic, uh, at least now, as I try and counsel my own children through school. It's so important to have that degree. You know? <laughs> right. Really got to You got to know uh, calculus, kid. It's going to serve you well. Uh, <laughs> This is all at least ironic, you know, welcome to being a parent, I guess. So while I had this group of friends all those years, um, and I would jump ahead and say in so many ways, getting hired at Blizzard and finding that family there was in so many ways a continuation of this surrogate safety I had found, this surrogate group of people through which I found identity and safety and consistency. Blizzard was really just a another tier of that and to blizzard and to the job i brought all of that need in me to belong and serve that family to and be a good <laughs> it sounds so whack right and mm -hmm. perhaps it is but be a good son to blizzard does that make any damn sense be a good soldier yeah be be a positive part of it a loving part of it that was you always know? your vibe to uh, from us looking in that's that's what you see as i kind of explained that you know my group of friends and and having that all those you know through adolescence and teenage years well what's the one thing that really kind of makes us skew wildly you know off the highway well it's 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 kind of love and relationships right like anybody else you know i wanted to you know i wanted a girlfriend i wanted um god how do you boil that down yeah. I guess from just the pure, <laughs> you know, birds and the bees angle of, hey, it'd be nice to, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this out. <laughs> Touch and be touched. Yeah. You know, lucky. I don't know. <laughs> uh, say it these days. Uh, yeah. It'd be nice to, you know, get some action as it, as it, as it were, as, as an overriding biological imperative that we all have at that time and probably up until now. <laughs> um, but I think also it's, it's, with a significant other and truly finding, you know, kind of ro romantic love, you know, it's a level of engagement and intimacy that is simply not possible in any other way. Right. You know, so for a kid that wanted to be, be invisible in so many ways when I was little and not be a, a, a stress to my family, I was desperate to engage that way and, and have somebody that really saw me and really got me and, and and in that desperate way, affirm mm -hmm. that I have worth, you know, that I'm, hey, you're cool. You know, you're boy, you're dark, but 
you do have some merit. You are real nice. You know, I don't know what, uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine what 15 year old me wanted to hear or wanted to feel. Well, it's pretty undefinable uh, then. Like I remember feeling like I could never quite define what I wanted when I was in those years. So I, I think you I think you're, you're mirroring what a lot of people's experiences were. We don't yeah, really know what we I want. I couldn't have articulated it then. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the maelstrom of emotion and hormones and everything else and life context, you know, things were very intense for me in that period. And, um, you know, so so I had had a number of girlfriends over the years and um, I, I, I have always hated dating. Uh, just the most awkward dater. You know, it's like I know I play a pretty fly dude on TV or whatever, you know, but it is untrue. I hate dating. I hate small talk. So it was never really easy for me. You know, so I did like, you know, so when I found someone I could really connect with, I liked, I liked doing that and, you know, being safe and being comfortable. Because I think under the surface, um, and God bless the handful of girls that dated me um, over, God, what am I even saying? <laughs> it's like I look back, you know, one by one, they were so patient with me because I was such a train wreck in my teenage years. But ultimately, I think I was always kind of processing some level of insecurity. And I, and even, even, uh, oh God, how do I say this? Even if you could say that I, I filled out a little bit mm-hmm. in my late teenage years or 20s, I've always felt like that dorky, lazy eyed kid because that's my, you know, it's like at some level, that was my self view on the inside. I didn't, I guess I didn't have a a great sense of self-worth and maybe I built a persona certainly through Blizzard in a way that while that wasn't insincere, uh, maybe it covered a little bit for some of those insecurities. And so, you know, I I get hired at Blizzard and and like I had said, you know, I'd had a, I'd had a few girlfriends, really, really nice um, girls. So I wound up, um, I had to have been about, um, Maybe I was 25, 26, um, and I met a girl who was 21. And you just tell me at our age, you look at those numbers and go like, yeah, nope, don't do it. What? No one knows who they are even at 25. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I know that now, damn it. Yeah, no, we all, all that stuff they said was true, but we didn't care. So I met a girl, uh, uh, her name is April, and oh God, maybe she'll hear this. I've never talked about this. Um, I think she'd be hip if I rolled all this out. I all think right. she would absolutely be hip because she's pretty, she is hip. So. I'll just get into it and ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> um, it's fine. It'll All be right. fine. All right. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com.